Welcome to a new episode of Dementia Dialogue. My name is Elaine Wiersma. I am an Associate Professor in the Department of Health Sciences at Lakehead University, and I've collaborated with David Harvey in Dementia Dialogue. I am taking on the role of the continuing host for our podcasts. September is World Alzheimer Month. Sharing stories is humankind's most enduring way of transferring knowledge. And in this episode, Brenda Hunam and Lisa Loisel share the story of their friendship. Colleen White from Brock University joins them and offers her insights based on research she has conducted along with Darla Fortune from Concordia University and Rebecca Janot from the University of Regina. Friendship is a gift we all have to share and one that we all seek to receive. Dementia can alter that exchange, which is so vital to our well-being. While cognitive or behavioral changes in the person living with dementia may change ways of communicating, an unfamiliarity and stigma can make the other person withdraw. Understanding and adaptation can help to sustain relationships. Let's listen in. Today on Dementia Dialogue, I would like to welcome my guests, Brenda Hunam and Colleen White. Uh, our topic today is a very important one, and we will be talking about friendships, and in, in particular, friendships in dementia. Uh, so for, for our listeners out there who don't know, July 30th is actually International Friendship Day. And it's a day uh, in some countries that celebrate friendships, which is an amazing thing. And so for the podcast today, we're going to talk, Brenda and I are going to talk about our 20-year uh, friendship that we have had in the context of some research that Colleen and her friends and colleagues uh, have worked on for the last couple of years. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So Brenda, the development of our friendship was an uncommon one, wouldn't you say? I would definitely say so, because it, I, I look back and surprise all these years and, and, and consider myself very lucky that, that I met you when I did, because um, it was a friendship that definitely changed my uh, journey in life uh, much differently. And, and that's what I think is, is really great about good friendships is they tend to do that. They shift and change your, your, your path mm-hmm. in life. And, and I find that quite intriguing. Yeah. How did you two meet? Well, it was um, for Changing Melody when I had volunteered to work for Mara um, and answered an ad that Sherry had put in looking for people with dementia. So back then I was still driving and I went to the university and the office where the meeting was taking place for the very first Changing Melody was uh, Lisa's office. And um, I got lost going through there, even though I had good directions. <laughs> Saw a man with keys hanging and knew he was an important guy because he was able to unlock a door that I thought I had to go through, but was locked. So, um, yeah, so that was the day I met Lisa. And, and um, I don't know, you just, you have a sense when you meet somebody that kind of clicks with you. And, and that day, even though it was a meeting and, and uh, it was over the phone and I was nervous because it was one of the first projects that, uh, definitely big projects that I got involved with. And, and uh, Lisa just made everything comfortable. 
And even though it was over, over the phone that day, um, yeah, it was kind of neat. And it just grew from there. Yeah, which, which um, because it went from a working relationship into a real true friendship. Because when I consider what's important to me about friendship, it's that um, mutual support. And Brenda, you've been such a role model in my own life. And, you know, although we don't talk to each other every day or every week, whenever we do get a chance to catch up, it's just like going back in time. Like it was never, when we used to see each other on a weekly basis, it's just, you know, I, I compare this to a friend, friends that I've had from high school um, that I still keep in touch with. And, and it's just that, you know, being able, it's just, you click, right. Being able to go back. So can you talk about your friendship, friendship experience as um, from the time that you were diagnosed? Like, what has that been like for you? That's actually one of the areas I found a little bit difficult. Once you receive the diagnosis of dementia, you find that people start drifting away and you're never sure why that is happening. As the years passed, I realized it was a lot of because they didn't know what to say or how, and they were afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. And so they would just kind of drift away. They didn't know what to do or say. And then some that, to be quite honest with you, there were certain friends that drifted away and I was just as happy that they did because that was a time when you actually find out who your true friends are. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it was like starting over with a clean slate. Um, I still have friends that I've known since we were uh, teenagers together, and that's kind of scary. <laughs> they <laughs> but, <must be> um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but what has amazed me more is the number of new friends that I did make. That came to a big surprise to me, uh, especially in the beginning when people were, were kind of just disappearing. Um, that came as a big surprise to me that there, it didn't stop just because I got a diagnosis one day. It didn't stop my interaction that I had with people. And I realized um, that I met a lot of great people and, and some of whom have been longtime friends or longtime acquaintances. So it, it's definitely been a topic that I've done a lot of reflection on. But Colleen, I, I must say that this is something that I haven't come across a lot of information on. I only have my own experience on. So you have no idea how excited I was to be working on, on something where you've done research on, on this. And, and I, I mean, there could have been stuff out there, but I sure didn't come across it. And I was pretty active in, in what was going on in the dementia world. So uh, that was pretty exciting to, to come up. Uh, across that when Lisa and of course because it was Lisa asking I, I didn't hesitate to say yes anyway but and you and I have worked uh, Colleen on a couple projects uh, have, that yes. go way back as well mm-hmm. and uh, and it was actually nice working on this when you actually knew the people one and, put a and, face to an and yeah and and the fact that I was so excited to be to hear that somebody had actually done something on this because it's a very, very important part of how well you do in your journey. 
Mm-hmm. So Colleen, do you find, did you find with your research that Brenda's experience uh, with friends falling away, that that was a common experience amongst the participants you talked to? Mm-hmm. So I would say, Brenda, you could have easily been a participant in our study. Um, <laughs> everything that you've just shared uh, resonated with a lot of people that we spoke to. To backtrack a bit, the, the whole reason we did the study is because um, Uh, So I did the research with two colleagues of mine, Darla Fortune works at uh, Concordia in Montreal and Rebecca Janot works at the University of Regina. And we each teach a course on leisure and aging. And when we get to the topic of social well-being and dementia, we have to say, well, the literature says that when someone is diagnosed with dementia, friends drift away. So, you know, the language that you just used is exactly what, what the research says. And, and I think the reason we did the study was, it was just, it came about so simply that we were just thinking, we're, we're tired of saying that. <laughs> can we find, can we find friends who are figuring it out? Can we get them to share what works for them? What insights they can share for others? And just generally, what are their stories? Uh, so it, it really was that simple. Can we, can we put another side to, the, to this research? Can we add another dimension to friendships and dementia? And the other piece you mentioned about being okay with some people drifting away, a lot of some of our, our participants said, you know, that diagnosis really made us thoughtful and reflective on who were our friends and who were acquaintances. And I'd never thought of those terms before. And they really said, you know, that friend is someone that I can call and say anything. And that acquaintance is somebody who won't pick up the phone. And it really was this um, kind of reckoning for a lot of them to say, you know, in a couple of cases, yeah, I, I didn't realize how many acquaintances I had and not a lot of those deep friendships. So, you know, that was something that I think the three of us really, it, it hit home, you know, the, the difference between a friend and an acquaintance. So what were some of the um, ways then that your, the friends that you were speaking with, what were some of the ways that they were able to continue having their friendships or being mm-hmm. friends? After yeah. a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So the most exciting thing, I think, for the three of us being in a department um, programs of leisure studies is that it was through leisure that they were able to maintain those friendships and doing the things they've always done or trying new things. And it was about honest conversations that they'd have with each other um, that, you know, the idea of our conversation starters, uh, you know, those are really the ways in which people can have those honest conversations with each other so that they are on the same page as they move forward together. We interviewed uh, a few people in retirement and long-term care, and someone said, you know, I purposely visit when there's an activity going on that I know we both really love. So whether it's music or, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> a meal, 
there might be, uh, you know, some cake or a strawberry social or something like that. And the friend would have the monthly calendar and would purposefully choose to visit during that time because that, again, that was something that they always enjoyed together. And that reciprocity piece that you spoke about before was really big in our research. So someone said, I'm not volunteering. This isn't a volunteer relationship that I have. I still get a lot of joy and satisfaction for myself to maintain this friendship. Darla interviewed uh, a woman and her friends. They travel around the province to visit uh, once a month and they color for the weekend and they have tea. And the friend said, you know, it's about being in the same room with her. It's about the social aspect of things and just being in her presence, simply being in her presence fills me with such joy that, you know, we will do this for as long as we possibly can. So the one thing, Brenda, I would say, because you and I would travel quite a bit. Yes. Um, And so we were in the car together, traveling from different places to meetings, sometimes to events. And I don't know about you, but for me, I felt that we had some really deep conversations and I think we got to know each other so well, that is because I still feel that way that I could say anything to you and, you know, say stuff to you that I wouldn't say to other people um, because I know we have that depth of conversation. Yeah, that's true, uh, Lisa. I, I feel the same way. I, I find out even with families, dementia aside, that that can be a really great way to to have an enjoyable time. And and I can remember those conversations well. Some of them some of them were a tad emotional, and maybe we didn't get into too much depth because you were the driver. Uh, but it does it does spar a lot of time to reflect after the drive as well. And you think back on it, you're really thinking and, and appreciating what was being said. I think you have to, you definitely have to have a trust level in the person to be able to do that. So that that is a, a very close friendship when you do that. You know, when you were using the word earlier, uh, Colleen, about acquaintances, mm-hmm. there's different degrees of that acquaintance acquaintance where some you'll talk a certain amount to some is very very superficial and others a little more in depth but a good friend is the one you go the extra mile with and and you you talk about the hard topics that people don't want to talk about and that's the emotional things that happen in your life so if you're having a really rough time and, and you hesitate to even tell your care partner because you don't want that upset them and cause them more concern than they already have. So I've talked to to Lisa about things I didn't even tell or talk to my kids about. I would I always kept them informed on on what I was doing, but it was bare minimal, and and I didn't go into really any depths of conversation with them that would cause a stir in emotions because. I was always afraid, even though I knew my children and I know them very, very well, I was always concerned about cutting off the hand that feeds you, so to speak. So you don't want to upset those, those ones that are caring for you each and every day and have gone out of their way and, and, and changed their life. And I was single, so I, I had to rely on children, which I think makes it even more difficult than if it was um, if I had still been married and or 
with a partner. I think that makes a big change. And that's where these close friends really meant a lot to me because they were all ones. I don't think there was, there was never anything that I couldn't tell Lisa or ask Lisa or even question when I started to second guess myself and in my conversation. And I would say, does that sound right after I'd say it? Because I'd say it and then I'm, I'm kind of listening to my own voice and I wasn't sure that it was, it was sounding right or that I was coming across right. I always worried about in my conversation and I still do to this day about saying something that I didn't clarify clear enough and the, and the person thinks the opposite of what I'm trying to be. And that's one of the things that I found about Lisa too, is I had so much trust in her. I, I, could, I could ask her, and if it didn't, um, she could say, well, I, or she'd come back with another question to care, clarify it just automatically. Yeah. Where a lot of people won't do that. And, and um, we always had that where, and in fact, I had mentioned earlier about the changing melodies and, and I was so frustrated at, at my uh, uh, volunteer work at the time that, I worked with Sherry on every single one of those changing melodies. And I have the deepest regards and respect for Sherry. And I am so glad um, because she's another person that changed my path uh, because of the guides. But not everybody on the committees back then were as good at listening as, as Sherry was. And I can remember one day getting off after a meeting and it was, uh, I had some, said something about care partners and, and um, I figured I had valid input as I was care partner for my dad and spent a good time with my grandmother also who had dementia. So I, I felt I was qualified to speak there too. And, and, and they came right out on the meeting and said, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And I thought, oh, that's it, I'm done. And if, uh, if it wasn't for my good friend, Lisa, that day, I, I, I wouldn't have continued. I wouldn't have. And she sat and talked to me on the phone for a long time. And by the end of that uh, call, I, I listened to what she had said and, and I, I changed my mind. And I, I wasn't a person to change my mind too often. So that's another thing that just so many things with a good friend that you got to have that trust level. That's, that's key. We found that so many times. Our research, we interviewed people who'd known each other for a long time. And uh, I can remember the fun part about this study, we sat in people's kitchens, we sat in their living rooms, they'd known each other for 50 years. So the two of them, it was, it was just a privilege, you know, to sit and watch them, not just what they said, but how they said it to each other. And I think the, for me, the big, takeaway was the trust because if you've got the trust then everything else you know all of our other findings they they it's like dominoes right so if I trust in the friendship you know they would say they'd be out in a, a social gathering and she would just have to give her friend a look and the friend would know that she was in a bit of trouble and just needed um, to remember somebody's name or um, just some detail and it was just a look and you don't get that when you've just known someone or a few weeks or you're an acquaintance. This is, yeah. you know, you're connected to somebody in a very deep way. Um, and in fact, this friend, speaking of, of medical appointments, Brenda, this, this friend 
when um, she was diagnosed, her friend said, I'm coming to medical appointments uh, and I will talk to your children about the medical appointments, but I'm the one that's going with you because I know you as a person so well. And I've been there beside you, you know, for 50 years. So the friend, the, the children were completely fine with it. So there's another, you know, really neat dynamic for the, for the children to say, you bet you are, you are part of our family um, in a really important way. And we trust you to share key information about our mom. But yeah, the, 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 the two of them would go to medical appointments together. I just, I thought that there's, there's that deep, knowing of each other. A number of our participants talked about sort of that private language between two people, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's just that, exactly that. It's, um, but you have to have that conversation beforehand. There's a conversation about dementia on the table. What do you need from me? So let's start brainstorming. We're out at a coffee shop and, you know, it gets too noisy. What am I paying attention to? We're at a wedding and you're starting to feel um, overwhelmed or, or unsure of yourself. What am I watching for? You know, can we, can we have that either look or word or something where I know that something has to change? Okay, if something needs to change, what is it? So it's almost like you're, you're telling me in advance like we're brainstorming ways and you're mm -hmm. telling me in advance so that when we get to a point where maybe you can't tell me, I already know. And I'm going to trust that, that yeah. we had that conversation. I know what you need and I'm stepping in because, because I, I know how important this is to you. Mm -hmm. And I know an example with Brenda and I, because um, we used to, when we were traveling, we would stop and get something to eat. Um, and so we've, we've had these conversations about, you know, where in the restaurant do you feel most comfortable sitting? You know, how are we, how, how would you like to order? And it, it was usually, you know, I, I know, I know the types of food that you like and what you don't like. Yeah. So it's, you know, give me a couple of options and then, you know, you choose which one you want that day or you know, I order something and you'll just, you'll get the same thing. So I, you know, it, it, um, having that open conversation about the things that people need, um, and want and how their friend can be supportive. Um, I think is something that Brenda and I used to do quite a bit of, we would strategize and say, okay, what, you know, when we go into this place, what, what can we do and how can, how can I support you? Or even Brenda supporting me, right? It's not just me supporting her. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it's her giving back to me as well. And, you know, over the years, Brenda has, has given me a lot of advice and a lot of, you know, really important pieces of my life that I've been able to share with her and talk about and that, you know, um, her strength as a, as a woman and as a parent has really helped me to grow in those ways as well. So it's definitely, it has not been, you know, me supporting her, it's us supporting each other for sure. Mm -hmm. If you yeah. think about all the conversations you've had over the years, you know, one yeah. of the, the friends said they'd, they'd known each other for over 50 years and they said, why would I drift? She's half of me. <laughs> And, oh, that's a good you know, what a, yes, what a wow. comment. And, and that's the depth of it. You know, 
the dementia piece is new and we'll figure it out. But we have 45 years mm -hmm. of scars together and bumps and just all these things that life has thrown at us. And yeah, we'll, we'll go through this together. Colleen, what are some of the other um, outcomes that really stood out uh, mm -hmm. in this research? Mm -hmm. Well, when you, you were chatting before, Brenda, um, reminded me of a, one of the stories uh, two friends said they, they always went to Stratford every year and they'd each get the playbook in the mail and they'd look through it and they'd have a conversation about, you know, which play they might want to go to for the theater. And after the diagnosis of dementia, the friend said, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't reaching out about something, a play that she was interested in. So she, she decided to look over the playbill herself, pick two plays that they hadn't seen before. And she'd come for lunch and she'd show the pictures of the two plays and she'd say, you know, which one do you want to go see? This one is about star-crossed <laughs> lovers and, and this one's about something else. And they'd make the decision, they'd pick a date and she'd put the date in the calendar right away. And it was, I'll pick you up at, you know, 11 o'clock um, and we'll go to Stratford. And so this friend said, you know, I trust that she still wants to go to Stratford because we always did it. And she had such a enjoyable time. And it's just the, the organizing of it that is not working for her at the moment. And so if I can give, if I can show her these two, two plays that I, I already know that she'll be interested in because I know her so well, and can we maintain that if I do a little bit more of the groundwork Right. So I just do a little bit of that piece, but we still get to go to Stratford. We still get to go for a, a little walk. We still get to have tea and we still get to see the play that we've always seen. So I think from our research, there's a little bit of that, but then there's an openness to try new things. Right. So if say, let's continue with the Stratford piece, if, if that's just too much, um, is there something the two of us could watch on television? Is there some uh, play that we could watch together in the comfort and, and familiarity of our home, one of our homes? And But we still get to have tea. <laughs> we still get to have the conversation. It just, the environment has changed a little bit. And I'm picking up that that's wise for us at the moment because maybe the, the, the big social outing is starting to get tiring or starting to get overwhelming. And we're having those conversations anyways, but I still think that there's value in something like this. Um, so the two of us are having this conversation and we're, we're adapting, I guess, adapting something that we've always enjoyed. For those that don't know, and they, they wouldn't know because this is all new, Brenda and I have been working with Colleen on creating um, a resource tool uh, to go alongside uh, a new website. And Colleen, I, I want you to speak to that as well. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that Brenda and I in creating this tool, uh, what we were talking about is, you know each other for so long, but people do change. Their likes and dislikes change. And the one thing I found that Brenda was so important that you said, Brenda, is that there's always exceptions to 
you know, the things you like to do or the, mm-hmm. you know, the things that you, your preferences, there's always exceptions. And so it's so important to keep having a conversation. Um, it's not a one and done. You keep mm-hmm. having a conversation with each other because, you know, I know that Brenda's family is top priority and, you know, and her grandkids. And so, although she doesn't like big, um, you know, uh, places where there's lots of noise, lots of people. If it has something to do with your family, Brenda, I, I'm I'm almost certain that that's an exception for you, right? If you have to go yes. to, you know, so, and that's one thing I found was so important that you said when we were talking about this uh, conversation tool is that there's always exceptions and you always have to keep talking to each other, even if you've known each other for 50 years. To add to that, uh, when there is those kind of events that are coming up, and, and two of the big ones I can think of that happen to all families is, is weddings and funerals. And they were important family functions, especially funerals. You have one last chance to pay your respects to that person's family. So obviously that was always one, but we had to find, I had to find a way that I could still do that and not have, be totally overwhelmed and then um, be centered out at a time when I wanted to definitely just be in the background and do what I was there for and, and, and have the, you know, the chance to speak to and address that. You know, if, if that person ever wants to give me a call, and a lot of people um, for me now that I've been diagnosed were people with dementia that passed away. So I would actually want to be there so I could reach out to them and, and that maybe the family, if they chose to, we could get together one time and just talk about the loved one and, and, and um, share our memories. And, and, um, and I was surprised that at the number of times I could do that. And I was really exhausted afterwards, but I was never sorry that I went and did it. And there was a couple that I, I missed and was physically not able to go that day because of other health issues. And, and, and it bothered me greatly that, that I couldn't get to. So there, those were two examples of, of key things that, that uh, would come up and how can I do them? So we would have that conversation with whoever was taking me and used to, my son was unbelievably um, gracious in, in seeing that I got to any funeral. Even that example, you know, Lisa, you, you couched it as Brenda's value system, right? So I know that large events might not be something, it might be something that's, that's overwhelming to Brenda, but the value underneath that was family. So I knew we were going to have to figure out a way yeah. for her to go, yeah. for her to do that. So, you know, just there's a perfect example of, of yeah. the two of you knowing each other so well that, you know, okay, this is going to be hard, but she will want to do this. We're very excited. We uh, have a website where we're storing all of our resources. The website is uh, dementiaandfriendship.ca. On the website, we'll have uh, a short overview of our study. We also um, converted our 
our academic manuscripts, we converted our transcripts to three vignettes, two minute, short two minute videos about each of the themes of our research. So gifts and meaning of friendship, um, role of leisure, and then strategies on maintaining a friendship. So we have these short vignettes that are free of charge. Everything on the website's free of charge. And so the, the, our intention in sharing that, there are some very tangible tips um, that our participants shared with us. So we tried to weave those in. Each vignette is a, um, a storyline of two friends. So they're either going for coffee and having some of these conversations. Um, they're at an event. You know, they're, they're all stories from our research. And then uh, along with each of the vignettes, uh, we have the conversation starters. And that's a document that, that the two of you have been creating for us. And it's, you're using your own friendship. And so you're brainstorming the questions and then asking the questions of your own friendship. So that's been really neat to listen to, you know, what, what you're, you each are learning about the friendship and each other as you go through. So our hope is that um, people with dementia, their friends, family, healthcare providers, leisure providers in retirement, long-term care can access this website, download um, the conversation starters, maybe watch the vignettes as a group and go through some of the questions together um, or encourage you know, friends to do so at another time. And um, just to really, to really equip that friendship, I suppose, with that information moving, some of, some of that knowledge moving forward. I want to give you a chance just to, like, why do you think this is so important? The research that, that Colleen and, and, and her colleagues are doing and, um, you know, the website, the conversation tool, the vignettes. Why is this all, why, why do you think this is important? I think it's important because it involves every day in our life. Like you might not see that friend. We talked about it earlier. Like we, we might not talk in over a month, but we can, the minute we get back, back together, it was like we were just talking yesterday. And to, to know you still have that throughout your whole journey, you're gonna have that person or persons. I think it's huge. I, 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 I can't say, uh, I, I did say earlier uh, how excited I was that I heard this was being done because I don't think I, I laid eyes on anything uh, on this particular topic. And, and there's been a lot of stuff done. And, and uh, this was exciting to hear because it, it I know for, for myself and for so many of my friends who have dementia that this is a godsend to each and every one of us that if we can get times like that with a person and it's helping that person understand what, what's happening in our heads when it's not always easy to do that. It makes me think, you know, there's, when there's a medical diagnosis between two friends, I hope that, I hope that somebody can take our vignettes and our conversation starter and chip away at that, right? And so that it just becomes about the two friends. So to, to go back to where we started, the literature is pretty clear that once there is a diagnosis, individual, people with dementia do tend to withdraw for lots of reasons, for fear, 
of negative reactions, a sense of over being overwhelmed. Friends also withdraw because they don't necessarily know what to say. They're not a medical professional. What if I say something wrong? I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. So I think in creating this website and providing these resources, I hope that people can take what fits them, leave the rest. But really, um, if we can add another side to things and demonstrate that you, you can figure it out, you know, we can let friends figure it out. They can speak for themselves. They can share tips that work for each other. Um, and that if, if I can watch, if I can look through the website and I can find a strategy and apply that to our friendship and it, and it shifts the way we're comfortable with each other and I can start to feel confident, we can maintain that friendship. I think that's, that's the privilege in, in participating in this research for me. And that's a, a great way to wrap things up. Brenda, I want to thank you for being my friend for so long. Um, and Colleen to you uh, and Darla and Rebecca for the work that you've done and doing, even just doing this research, but then, uh, you know, creating the resources and making these available, I think is, is really important. Thank you to Brenda and to Lisa for sharing about your friendship and to Colleen for sharing about the important work that you are doing. Please check out our show notes for the information links to Colleen and her associates' research and some additional resources, and a CBC interview with Brenda and Rebecca Janot. Later this month, we will release episode number five in our popular series on young onset dementia, in which Kathy Hickman of the Brain Exchange talks with her niece Rachel whose mother developed dementia early in her daughter's life. This will be followed by an episode on advances in research with a feature on biomarkers, what they are and how they might alter the landscape of diagnosis and treatment. You can receive each of these episodes in your inbox when they are released by subscribing at dementia.dialogue at lakeheadu.ca and putting inbox in the subject line. Thanks to the Center for Education and Research on Aging and Health at Lakehead University, our institutional partner, and to the Public Health Agency of Canada for its financial support. Thanks for listening. My name is Elaine Weersmuth.